What caused the Aguna problem? Is social media pressure campaigns really the solution? And why have the rabbis not solved the problem? I'm Avi Cohen. I'm Mati Cohen. And this is Jewish Thought Flow. Hi, and welcome to another edition of Jewish Thought Flow. This is your host, Avi Cohen. Today, we are going to be speaking about the Aguna problem. Uh, it's come up, you know, in the news. It's come up in social media. I'm sure everybody's seen the free Chava hashtag that's been sent around. Uh, we wanted to just speak about a couple myths surrounding the Aguna process. A uh, couple, we want to go through the history of the attempted solutions to the Aguna problem. And we want to speak about how the Tyra originally set it up so as to avoid any Aguna problem. So let's start with a brief introduction as to what is an Aguna and where does this problem come from. So in Jewish law, the man and the woman have to both agree in order to get married. They both have to have consent to initiate a marriage. The divorce, however, is solely in the hands of the man, at least in terms of consent. The man is the only person who has to consent to the divorce. He has to want it. The woman doesn't have to want it. However, the woman does have to be, um, let's just say, a recipient who has full mental capacity. capacity in order to receive the get, but she doesn't have to consent to having the get. So here we have uh, the possibility of a problem, which is if the man does not want to give the get to the woman, and the woman wants to receive a get, she wants to get divorced. Now, what's the problem with this, you ask? Well, the problem is, in Jewish law, a woman can only be married to one man at a time. Therefore, if she doesn't receive a get from her husband, she cannot get remarried. Women want to get remarried sometimes, and therefore, this causes a very, very painful problem, especially if the woman is younger or hasn't had a kid yet. You know, you can imagine a situation where it can get very, very sad, an abusive husband who just refuses to give the get. Right, or more classically, actually, has it as it happened historically, the more likely situation where a woman was left without the ability to get a get, to get a get, was that the husband either went missing or went out of town and they didn't know where he was, or he might have died, but they're not sure he died. In all those situations, unless you're confident that he's dead, the woman is unable to get remarried until she receives a get, and because the husband is missing, she's stuck. Now, people think, well, that's a cruel law. Like, why wouldn't you let her get remarried? So the problem is if she gets remarried and has kids, those kids are what's known as mamzerim, or bastards in English. And mamzerim uh, cannot marry into the Jewish community. They cannot marry a Jew. Therefore, that causes a furtherance of a very, very painful situation. Not only that, is that well, if, one... if the husband is still alive and comes back yeah. after she gets married. Right, right. Yeah, sorry. Um, and the momser can't get married. Not only that, if the momser does have a kid, that kid's also a momser. Meaning if the momser is any one of the parents, uh, everybody in the family is a momser. And then if any of them get married, they're all momser. Uh, and that's obviously not good. You don't want a, you know, a community of bastards running around. Uh, so there's, you know, it's like any other issue in Jewish law that it's complex. And sometimes there are painful consequences. We spoke about this in the last podcast, how you could have painful consequences to Jewish law. Now, what did the Tyra do to protect the woman? So the Tyra did as follows. You cannot give a get under coercion, or else it's not considered a va valid get. You can't just go force a husband to give a get. So what can you do? You can have Besden decide that the husband needs to give the get. If Besden rules that the husband needs to give the get, the Besden is allowed to force him. Now, I know you're thinking, how could the Besden force him? Didn't we just say that a coerced get is not kosher? So the Rambam, in the end of, of the second chapter of Hilchus Gerishin, which is the Law's Divorce, explains it as follows. He says, every Jew's real will, real rutzen, is to serve Hashem. So if Bezdin 
tells him he has to give the get, which makes it binding on him, halachically, to give the get. They can beat him till he says, I want to give the get, because that's not a coercion. That's actually an expression of his real will. That being said, it has to be done by Bezdin. If a non-Jew decides to go and force them, force him to give the get, even if technically halachically he was supposed to, if Bezdin has not, uh, has not ruled such, the get is considered coerced. If the woman gets remarried, their kids are going to be mamzerim. So that's one way which the rabbi stepped in after recognizing this problem and made it easier for the woman to get the get. That's in a situation where the husband refuses to give a get. In the other case where the husband goes missing, there the rabbis also stepped in and realized we'd have a serious problem and allowed a few other uh, leniencies in the law. For example, in general, to testify that somebody's dead, you need two witnesses. But in this situation, because of the aguna issue, which is the actual, the language the Gemara uses in Mishum Aguna Hikilu Bayrabanan, because of the issue of the aguna, the rabbis were more lenient. And they allowed only one witness to testify that the husband is dead in order to allow the woman to remarry. So I think a significant part of the narrative that's circulating around now, uh, circulating, is that the Rabbanan don't care. Like, they just didn't, you know, these laws are antiquated and it just didn't, they didn't care about the woman, they didn't worry about the woman, uh, you know, who cares about the woman. Uh, that's clearly not true, and Allah is just fill, uh, full of heterim to help solve the Aguna problem. The complication is that we have this counter balance of the problem of the bastard being created if we allow too much leniency in this area of halacha. Right, so it's not it's not a lack of of empathy for the guna as much as a a similar or at least equal concern of the flip side, which is a bastard child and the woman violating a very serious iser of Aishas Ish of committing adultery. Because again, even if she doesn't live with her husband, if she does not have a get, she's married to her husband. And if she goes to, with another man, that is adultery, that's Aishas Ish, that's a very, very serious iser, besides for the negative ramification of the mamzer. Now, everybody's saying, everybody's blaming Tyra for this problem, like, oh, why would Tyra set up a system? You have to remember, this isn't Tyra's system. In the Tyra system, Bezdin beats up the husband till he gives a get, assuming it's a case where the husband should be giving a get, right? It is really Western culture that is not allowing this. It's it's Western culture that doesn't allow religious institutions to carry out religious authority using violence, right? And probably for good reason, because who knows where that would lead. But in the Tyra system, Bezdin had the power to compel the giving of the get using force. And also, it's a isser. It's a sin for the husband to not give the get. So in terms of halacha, halacha is telling the husband you have to give a get. So the halachic system is set up in a way that you have to give the get. There's a lot of times in halacha where what can halacha do besides tell you you're doing the wrong thing, and then it's up to you to do the right thing. Right, particularly in a time where religion is stripped of its power, or halacha is stripped of its power. Now, one has to be very careful because if one is advocating that halacha should step in and, and make sure that this aguna uh, gets her get, then what they are advocate, advocating for is halachic coercion and halachic authority and the ability to put out punishments. Now, you might like it when it comes to the Aguna case, but I don't know if you'll like it when you get 40 lashes for uh, breaking Shabbos or get 40 lashes for any of the other, you know, Isri Lavim in the Torah. So you have to be careful when you ask, like, you want overreach of, not overreach, but if you want the the halachic system to take an effect. It's not just going to solve the Aguna problem. It's also going to make life difficult for you in a lot of ways and make their society better as a whole, but it's not going to be pleasant. It's not, you know, 
So part of these uh, social media campaigns is they're arranging rallies outside of these people's homes uh, who are refusing to take with Gad. And one of the videos I saw, I looked away quickly, but in one of the videos I saw, there was an inappropriately dressed woman screaming on a microphone curse words uh, to get this guy to give a get. Uh, and, um, you know, if, she, if I hope she doesn't want Bezin come back in full force because she'd be, she'd be getting uh, more than 40 lashes, I'll tell you that much. So, um, you know, you have to be careful what you want and, and, and understand what the system is and why it doesn't work, why it does work. Now, some of the things said on social media, and we're going to get more into the social media aspect later on in the episode and what kind of solution that is. But some of the things they say, and this is obviously coming from a very uneducated, um, more modern, conservative crowd, people who don't know anything about halacha, uh, and they come up with, like, just the stupidest claims against Judaism coming from this place of zero knowledge. So one of the more, like, popular memes or, uh, you know, photos being shared is one where it goes through a bunch of different halachos and the leniencies created by the rabbanon. For example, so it would be like, you can't carry on Shabbos, uh, there's a concept of of Loans get canceled by Shemitah, you have a prisbal to save that. You can't eat meat after milk, wait six hours. But then when it comes to Aguna, all of a sudden the rabbis are like, oh, our hands are tied, we can't do anything. Now, this comes from such a place of ignorance, because in halacha, there are numerous things which have a term, and there are some things which don't have a term. Now, the system that the rabbis are working with is they have certain texts, certain axioms, and then based on those axioms, they're able to uh, produce different results in different areas. Now, if you can't produce a certain result based on the axioms you have, then you can't do anything. There's nothing you can do. It would be like saying like, oh, scientists are able to bring man to the moon, but they can't come up with a cure for cancer. Like as if that's some sort of claim against scientists. Additionally, it's just ignorant on the history. As we already quoted from the Gemara, the rabbis were incredibly sensitive about this area, coming up with numerous attempts to try to allow the woman to get remarried, understanding the difficulty of the situation that the woman could be placed in. And again, just to reiterate, the problem is caused by Western society's unwillingness to allow religious authority to enact their decrees. It doesn't come from an uh, ineptitude of the Rabbanon to enact it. Now, since Western society created this problem, the Rabbanon had to be very creative in order to solve it. It might be possible, it might not be possible. So now, we're going to go through a couple of the attempted solutions that took place throughout history. Uh, mostly from the reform and conservative rabbinate, not because they care more about the Guna, but because they care less, less about, about Allah. Allah yeah. um, so we're going to see all the solutions they tried and why it didn't work. A very brief history. Again, a lot of these are very complex Allah topics, and we're just going to give you the Rashi Prakamas called, or the chapter headings of all these ideas. So in 1884, that's when secular divorce was first introduced in France. So immediately, Reverend Michael Weil, who lived in Paris, was a rabbi, and he decided that maybe we can say that after this divorce, the secular divorce, we can say that they're also not religiously married. He based this on his conception that any contemporary rabbi can just annul a marriage. Now, this would help in the Aguna issue because secular marriage can be initiated, sorry, secular divorce can be initiated by either party. And therefore, if the man is unwilling to get the divorce, the woman can just go to court and say, I'm getting divorced from him. And according to Rabbi Weil, this would end the halachic marriage also. Now, this was sent to the Orthodox French rabbinic authorities and they rejected it out of hand. They responded that it's true certain aspects of marriage was given over to the rabbis because uh, part of the marriage ceremony is al-das ma'ishib Yisrael, which means it's done with it within the consent of the rabbinic authority, but they cannot just terminate any marriage uh, without divorce or death. Furthermore, this whole thing that was given over to the rabbis only applies to the time of the Talmud when there was a consensus on the body of rabbis, which gives them a th certain authority, which they lack nowadays, which is the same reason why we can't be arguing on the Gemara. But again, that's all a later topic. 
Um, so that's why that was rejected. So Wilde tried again and said, okay, maybe we can make the marriage conditional. What if we make the halachic marriage conditional with the condition that if the secular courts say that we're divorced, that should annul the halachic marriage also. So he's not saying that the secular courts will annul the marriage. He'll say, he's saying that the marriage was done on condition that if we get divorced secularly, it would, be it would also annulled. work. Right, it would retroactively annul the marriage. It wouldn't act as a divorce. It would annul the marriage. So this proposal was sent to Rabbi Tzadik Cohen for, of Paris. Now, he's not the same Rabbi Tzadik Cohen, the famous one, uh, who wrote all the uh, Shkafas Farm. It's from Leblin, no? Yeah, that one from Lublin. Um, and now this Rav Tzaddik sent it to Rav Isaac Lachan Inspector of Kovno, the leader of the European rabbinate at that time. For his opinion, I guess it was above Rav Tzaddik's pay grade. So in a letter dated 475753, which is 1893, Rav Specter ruled against the conditional marriage. After Rav Tzaddik's passing, Rav Yosef Lehman of Paris reproposed the conditional marriage idea. The unequivocal rejection of the rabbinate was published in a sefer or a kuntris called Ein Tanai Benisun, which literally translates as there are no conditional marriages, and the matter was dropped. Signatories of this document included Reb Chaim Moser Gdansky, Reb David Tzvi Hoffman, Reb Chaim Salvechik, Reb Meir Simchatvinsk, Reb Chil Apsin, author of the Aruch HaShulchan, and a host of others. So again, you're talking about the biggest halachic hitters of the time coming in and saying, this is not halakhically valid. Now, again, I just want to stress again, when it's not halakhically valid, what you're doing is you're creating halakhically valid mamzer, which is far more painful than an aguna. The reason why halakha doesn't allow for tanayim or conditions in marriage, but they do allow it in engagements, but not in marriage, is because obviously after you get married, the couple are going to be sleeping together. And if you have conditions that will retroactively annul the marriage, then all these uh, the sleeping together in between will have been lesnus or will be um, for out, outside of yeah outside of marriage. So that that and again, not only that, but when they decide to be together, that is considered to annul any reservation. So we have it that even by a divorce document, we're going to see this later. But if you write a divorce document and don't give it yet, and then lay together with your wife, it retro it annuls the divorce document. We're going to see that in a little bit. So the next attempt came in 1930 by conservative Rabbi Louis Epstein of Boston. Uh, his ingenious idea was that the husband, prior to marriage, appoint his wife as an agent to execute his divorce. The woman would divorce herself, basically. So again, the husband, prior to marriage, would say, I'm appointing my wife to be my agent for divorce, should that take place. Then the woman, the wife herself, can basically divorce herself by deciding, I'm going to now enact that agency. This proposal was laid forth in the book, Hotsa Leman Takanas Agunas, a publication in order to help fix the problem of the Aguna. Right, so it was a very creative um, way to get out of the problem. And the conservative uh, rabbinical assembly voted all unanimously to accept this proposal. In an unshocking decision. But the Orthodox world, again, said that this is no good. And they set out three reasons for this. And this is very interesting. First, they were able to prove how logically the uh, producing such an agent, producing such a shliach, is not possible. We're not going to get into the nitty-gritty of that. Um, that's just, that was their conclusion. The second one was just a practical issue, which is that because the husband is the one appointing the shliach, he can also just annul the shliach. He can annul the agency. He can say, I don't want you as my agent anymore. So in such a situation of an aguna where the husband is refusing to give a get, this doesn't help anything because it'll just be like, I refuse to give the get and you're not an agent anymore. And the third problem is that in Jewish law, when the man and woman are sleeping together, 
let's say let's say I tell my wife I want to get a divorce, but then we sleep together. So that nullifies any uh, divorce proceedings that have happened because I, I've kind of shown my hand that I actually want to stay married to her by sleeping with her. So, so for example, if you appoint an agent to give your wife a get and then you're with her that night prior to the agent giving the get, even if the agent then goes gives the get, we assume the agency was cut off when you decided to lay with her because you wouldn't lay with a woman you're not married to. Right. So all this was published in a book titled Lador Aran, and this was the orthodox response to this proposal, and it was again rejected by the orthodox community. In 1967, Dr. Eliezer Berkowitz of Skokie, Illinois, published a work called Tanai Benesuin Veget. I assume it was a play on the original work, Ain Tanai Benesuin. There are no conditions in Nesuin in marriages, and he wrote a book called There is Conditions in Marriages and Divorce, in which he asked the world rabbinate to reconsider conditional marriages. Now, he claimed that he received a approbation for his book from the Sri Deish, Rabbi Yaakov Yechiel Weinberg, or Yechiel Yaakov Weinberg, who was a famous posik of the time. So his book elicited no response from the Orthodox Rabbinate as it offered little new to the Paris proposal. Now, not only that, but a shocking rebuke of his attempt was written by Rabbi Nachum Kasher. Rabbi Nachum Kasher wrote the book Tereshlema, stating, and this is a quote from Nachum Kasher, I'm especially shocked that the author is completely oblivious to the fact that 30 years ago, all rabbinic leaders issued a decision which was countersigned by over 1,000 rabbis in which they imposed a cherem. They imposed the excommunication on anybody who proposed a conditional marriage. He then goes on to say that he spoke to Rabbi Yaakov Yechiel Weinberg, and Yaakov Yechiel Weinberg wrote to Rabbi Kasher and retracted his quasi-approval of Berkowitz's idea and suggested that Berkowitz had misled him of the contents of his idea. In 1954, Professor Saul Lieberman proposed that maybe we can provide a solution in the Ksuba, whereby we'll add a statement that says if the husband refuses to give a divorce, then the Bezin can impose monetary fines at their discretion to the point to force the man to give the get. Now, the way this solved the Aguna problem is obvious. Right, so then the response to the Orthodox Rabbinate, again, was negative. The main halachic problem in this proposal was the idea of a smachta. So an asmachta is an indeterminate commitment to the consequence of an agreement, which is invalidated by halacha. So one of the reasons why betting, gambling, is a problem in halacha is because since you assume you're going to win, the decision to place money on a certain bet uh, is hinged upon that assumption. And when that assumption doesn't carry out, it retroactively makes your decision a mistake and therefore non-halachically valid. So that's also a problem by the get. If you sign a document saying, I will pay money if this and this happens, such as I refuse to give a get, and you never assumed you would be in that situation, there's a problem of halachic legitimacy by such a document. Furthermore, this document was not legally binding in secular courts and therefore were useless because if you're not going to listen to Bezdin telling you to give the get, you're not going to listen to Bezdin telling you to give money for not giving the get. Further attempts happened in 1980, the New York legislature passed a bill stating that the husband could not get a civil divorce, which would mean he couldn't get remarried civilly if he does not remove all barriers for his spouse to get remarried. This would include giving a get, which would allow her his wife to get remarried. Then he would be granted a civil divorce, which would allow him to get a civil marriage. Now, this bill had a very, very limited effect, even though it was luckily valid, because if you want to stay married to your wife, you don't care if you get a civil divorce from her. Therefore, if you don't give a get, you just won't get a civil divorce, but if you weren't planning on getting remarried or you want to stay married to your wife, which is mostly the case with these agunas, it is not going to help very much. 
1992, a second bill was passed in the New York State Legislature that required a judge to take a husband's refusal to give a get into account when determining division of assets or alimony, which means the judge would look, okay, one of the things the judge is looking at when taking into account who gets what money, who gets what kids, is did the husband give a get or not? Unfortunately, the leading law authorities, including Rishlam Zaman Arbach and Rish Shalom Ali Eliashev, determined that such a get would be considered coerced. Now, again, it wasn't coerced by Bezdin, it's coerced by the legislature. Because even if Bezdin says he doesn't have to give a get, the judge will still take into account his refusal to give the get. So again, it would be coercion by the non-Jewish courts, which is considered invalid and will again create a mamzer. And finally, in 1994, and this is a, the more famous uh, quote-unquote solution to the Guna problem, was uh, presented by Rav Mordechai Willig, which was a prenup contract signed before the marriage, where the husband would agree to pay the wife a certain sum, like $150 every day that they're separated, uh, where the husband refuses to give a get. Um, this would obviously encourage the husband to give the get as soon as possible. Right. Now, the flaw of this do document is basically the unwillingness of the masses to sign such prenups. So again, the Guna problem is a very, very small problem. It's a huge problem for the woman involved, but statistically, in marriages, Jewish marriages worldwide, it's a very, very small problem. So in order to catch this problem, you need a large percentage of the populace signing this prenup so you catch the small percentage of Aguna cases. If you have a small percentage of people signing a prenup, and an even smaller percentage having the Aguna problem in the first place, it's very unlikely that the people with the Aguna problem are also going to be the people who sign the prenup. Right, and the reason a lot of people are wary of signing this thing is because it's a little bit, uh, I'd say, unromantic during a, a wedding ceremony to be signing that if I decide to, to be... Abuse a, you. Yeah, to, to abuse you, I'll, to I'll pay you money. I'll pay you money. It's, uh, it's a little, bit, there, little there, bit unromantic. There is also not so clear on a logic front if this would also constitute the Asmachta problem we spoke about earlier, which is a uh, indeterminate uh, commitment uh, to a financial obligation, and therefore they also have those problems. But either way, it just didn't catch on. Again, it was introduced in 1994. We still have the Guna problem going strong today, and it doesn't seem like people are signing this prenup. Now, again, I want to repeat, I don't think the Guna problem is as big as it's made out to be. If you can count on your fingertips how many Guna problems are, even if you can count in the hundreds how many Guna problems there are, it's still a very, 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 very small percentage of marriages, and therefore to make it obligatory for everybody to sign this unromantic document, uh, even that is, you know, subject to discussion, to make the thousands of marriages a year uh, get signed on this prenup just because there's one or two Aguna problems uh, also, again, is up for discussion. Right. Now we get to the final solution, which is <laughs> final solution. <laughs> the final solution, which is being uh, kind of carried out nowadays by a large segment of the Jewish community, which is the social media pressure campaign against those who refuse to give a get. So the details are a little little obscure as how this started. Uh, we don't want to get in. I don't want to get into the details. I don't want to speak out the names of people who started it. But it just uh, the person who started this hashtag movement. Um, of spreading awareness of an aguna in order to apply social media pressure to get the person to give the get, uh, was claimed that she had Bezdin uh, allowing her and telling her to do so, which then she proceeded to create this social media campaign, which proceeded to draw a lot of attention towards the husband who refused to give the get. Um, and the great thing about social media is it's everywhere in the world at the same time, and therefore, even if the husband decides to move from community to community, you can still track him down using this social media campaign, because anybody who was a friend of somebody who shared the thing would see it, and if they happen to be in the community where the husband is, they can share it with their friends, and then it becomes public no matter where the husband tries to right. hide. And, and it seems to be have been pretty successful in numerous cases so far, where they've 
uh, managed to convince the husband, quote unquote, convince the husband to give the get. Right. So, and again, it, it also caused more awareness in the community. The community applies pressure. Sometimes they have rallies outside of the person's house. Um, and all this pressure allows, uh, it allows enough pressure for the husband to decide it's not worth it to refuse to give the get. Right. Because there, there have been husbands who have like lived in, let's say, Aristotle, refused to give a get and then moved to America. And people didn't even know that this person had, still had a halakhic wife uh, in you know, in Eretz Israel suffering, not able to get remarried. So again, so there is a lot of positive to this movement because there's a lot of positivity to what social media brings. So this sounds great. Sounds like a great way to solve the Yaguna problem. What's the catch? So I'll tell you the catch is as follows. Social media is not a place that's governed by halakhic authorities, nor is it governed by rational thinking, fear-minded people. It is governed by the masses and the ability to spread a catchy hashtag or a catchy social media trend. Or just give somebody some sort of purpose in their life where if they feel unfulfilled, they can be like, oh, well, now I'm saving this person's life, so I'm going to get involved in this. And you see this not just in a lot of areas. I mean, there's a reason why uh, this this more modern aspect of the social media trends are following so closely to what's happening in the political uh, the political spectrum or even just any the non-Jewish social spectrum where you have these uh, social media influencers who create these trends in order to get people canceled. Right. And these, again, these social media influencers in the non-Jewish world are generally ignorant in politics and ignorant in policy, social policy and social theory. And in the Jewish world, they're generally ignorant in halacha and ignorant um, in policy that will make for more frumkite. So some of the problems of Aguna, again, the Aguna narrative consistently throughout history has been accompanied by a narrative of feminism, especially more recently. If feminism came out, the Aguna narrative was, oh, another remnant of the patriarchy that's oppressing women. So when that gets spread, when you see these things spread in social media, it causes a huge chalashem because half the people who are sharing it are halachic and want to share it to pressure the husband. The other half are just trying to get at the Jewish idea of the man being in control of a marriage. Right, and those and so, are very generous statistics. I right. assume it's more like 95% are, are not from people just trying to bash the Orthodox community being like, oh, look at these uh, Haredi people who don't give their wives a get. Right. And again, uh, most the more from you are, the less likely you're going, going to be on social media. So the social media crowd is not exactly from, like we spoke about earlier, uh, when we saw footage of the rallies, there was a very inappropriately addressed woman walking back and forth on a megaphone screaming out curse words. So that's obviously not the type of action that uh, I think the Allah wants to occur. Not only that, I think this is the bigger problem, is that once you give power to the masses, to a bunch of hairdressers on social media, you allow them to do whatever they want. Because again, they can just free anybody now. So let's say there's a case, which I know personally of a case, where the husband actually doesn't need to give the get. He's not supposed to give the get. The woman is in the wrong. And yet... They spread his name. Now his name is being besmirched all over social media. In every city where somebody's spreading this hashtag, they're going to know this guy's name, and they're going to think he's an awful person, and he's actually not. And they're going to have his picture, his address. I saw there's somebody in, in the, this community who was not giving a get to his wife, and people thought that he was completely in the wrong for it, and they were planning to have rallies outside his house. They were planning on shooting him nasty texts, insulting him in public. Things like that. And then they looked more into the story because these were from good people. They looked more into the story before taking any action. Then they realized what it was. And they spread. They spread. They apologized. Anybody who had done anything apologized for it. But these were very good people. And in general, you don't have people looking so much into the story when they can spread some sort of anger and hatred towards somebody who they feel is a worse 
person than them, people love grabbing onto that. Right. And and it's not only feminism. There's this uh, there's a syndrome called white knight syndrome, which is the it's a male thing. It's they want to save the helpless girl. Right. So it's like in all the classic stories, the girl's trapped by the dragon and the knight in shining armor comes and saves this helpless maiden. Right. This is the classic hero story. This is built into the human complex, or at least the male complex of wanting to be the hero to save that poor uh, uh, girl who just can't do anything and, and is powerless. One has to be very careful not to just spread a story because it's a picture of a nice looking girl who's crying because she can't remarry. And then they put some dark, gloomy picture of this evil-looking husband with, like, words all over murder or abuser. And, like, you know, you automatically feel like, oh, I got to save this girl. Calm down. Make sure if they're getting information, which Bezin is behind this, call the Bezin. Make sure there's a story there. Make sure Bezin wants you to spread it. And make sure you're not spreading information about an innocent person. Again, in any marriage, the husband could be the jerk. The woman could be the jerk. The husband could be abusing the woman. The woman could be abusing the husband. There are times when Bezin doesn't want the husband to give the get. Because there are times the woman is acting crazy. I know a story personally where the wife is trying to get custody of the kids to send them to public school because she fried out and divorced her husband. She wants a get from the husband. The Bezin is advising the husband to not give a get so he can use the get as leverage to make sure the kids don't end up in public school. Because again, Aguna is a sad story, but your kids being taken away from you and forced to go to public school and frying out is also a sad story. Right. And even less extreme. I think it's a conversation. If let's say the woman, you know, stole a bunch of money from the husband or owes the husband a bunch of money. It's unclear why the woman getting remarried is more important than the woman giving the husband back, let's say, you know, $100,000 that she left the husband in debt in. Like, it's just it's a conversation that you have to have. And it's something you have to think about. So, so one has to be careful, again, that you're not pushing a feminist narrative. You're not creating bigger, more of a Hilashem. The story you're actually pushing is one where the Bezin actually wants the husband to give a get. Because, again, if the Bezin doesn't want the husband to give a get and you force him to give a get, that could cause a lot of problems of coercion. Because, again, all coercion has to be done by Bezin. If it's not done by Bezin then it's halakhically invalid and you can cause mamzerim. You could also cause an innocent person name, a person's names to be besmirched, which is just as bad as the guna problem in the first place. If you ruin a person's life, now you killed him twice. His wife abused him, and now you're abusing him. So again, you have to be very careful. Everybody thinks in any Aguna story, the wife is always right. That's not true. A lot of times she is, a lot of times she isn't. Right, there's a, we don't know the story. There's a line that goes, in every divorce, there's three sides. His side, her side, and the truth. There's actually a fourth side, the side of people who can't count. So, uh, but again, just be careful. Just because it's a woman that they put in a nice light and they put the man in the abuser picture doesn't mean that's a story. Doesn't mean it's not the story. It just means it's not your responsibility to pass it forward unless you know the story. Just because somebody who makes hair for a living or paints other people's faces for a living tells you it's the most important thing you can do with your day and it's a big mitzvah doesn't mean it's a big mitzvah. They generally do not know what they're talking about. So, again, it's just something to keep in mind. Be very careful with what you share because again you could be besmirching an innocent person's name you could be causing a mom's a problem or you might be helping we don't know so now hopefully we'll find a solution to the aguna problem in the near future it's possible this social media campaign if it's uh led and run by the proper people and the, the proper minds can be very influential in ending this problem hey let's bring that back bezden beating up bad guys i'm all for it hopefully mashiach should come in the very near future and we should have no more problems I'm Mati Cohen. I'm Avi Cohen. And this has been Jewish Thought Flow.